Happy Sunday, everyone. So grateful that you are in church today. I happen to be in Charleston, where I have been doing a wedding for a lovely New Hope couple. But today, you are in for an incredible treat. And I know I say that kind of thing often, but hear me out today. Today really is a special Sunday because of the person who is bringing part two of our series, Killing What's Killing You. I am so proud of this young woman of God, and I say young intentionally, and it causes me to think of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, where the Bible says this, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I can think of no one that does that any better than the one and only Abby Ferguson of this church. I am so proud of this young woman. She has grown up in this church. Check this out. She accepted Jesus Christ in the year 2013 in this church in our student ministry. She was baptized in May of 2013. She was the first in her family to go public with her faith. She has served in our children's ministry she, on staff. She has served in our online ministry and still does on staff. And she is the anointed woman of God who is currently leading our young adults ministry. And this is her very first time teaching on this stage on a Sunday morning to all the campuses. So this really is a big deal. New Hope, I hope you will sense uh, pride in your spirit, a healthy kind of pride for the fact that the ministry of this church has helped raise this young teenager to faith, baptism, world changing, on staff, and now is an incredibly influential leader in our church. She is a pure joy to have on staff, and I am so honored and excited to welcome her to this stage. So do what you do. Maybe do it on a whole nother level. This is her first time teaching here on Sunday morning. So give it up and welcome Abby to the stage today. Here we go, church. But man, if you are grateful to be in the house of the Lord today, let me just hear you say amen. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, welcome to the New Hope family. And we just wanna give a big shout out to all of our family joining us. Talking about those of you who are in Sanford, Garner, Hillsboro, all of you guys out in Kenya. Of course, those of you online and you all right here in the room in Durham. Can we just celebrate our family today? Yeah. Man, we are one church multiple locations, and so we are so glad that you would come and be with us today. Well, as Pastor Benji mentioned, my name is Abby, and as honored as I am to call this place my workplace, I'm even more honored to call this place my home. This is my church. I grew up here. I accepted salvation here, and I was given the true gift of learning under Pastor Benji and his leadership. And what's true of me it's true of you, our pastor, he believes in you, he loves you, and he is so extremely proud of you, church. 
And speaking of church, our church is in our current series, Killing What's Killing You, where we're talking about these habits we can let label us and keep us from becoming God's best. And so last Sunday, Shari King, she kicked off with a word on cynicism, and today I'm gonna introduce us to a new word that if we are not careful, we can let label us. In fact, when it comes to labels, I think labels are something we can all relate with. We all have labels in our life. I know I, for one, have labels in my life. And so today I wanted to share with you just a few of my favorite labels. This first one is one I'm honored to have, and it's the label of daughter. And I actually brought a photo. This is my mom and I, and she has helped make me into the person I am today. So I'm so honored of having that label of daughter. Now the second label is one that's pretty special. It's the label of leader. And I know that it was mentioned once, but when you lead a ministry, like the young adults here at New Hope, it is surely great to mention it twice. These are my people. And man, every time that we gather on the second or the fourth Tuesday, I'm the one who's actually more captivated and in awe by the incredible hearts that those people have. So I love what God is doing in our 18 to 35 ministry. Now this last label, it's one I treasure. You know, it would be a miss on my part if today I didn't stand up and introduce you to the most important man in my life, my most important guy. And so a lot of people these days, they don't believe in the whole concept of love at first sight. But thankfully, that's not the case for me and my guy. Here's a photo of us together. Yeah. Now some of you, some of you are probably thinking, wow, he looks just a little bit more fluffier than what I was imagining. Um, is it a bad thing? I don't know, but that's my sweet puppy. His name is Rhett, and so I love having the label of being a dog mom to him. But the thing about labels is I find it fascinating that so often we are proud to show off the labels we define our lives by, the ones we want people to see, the ones we feel confident placing in our social media bios. But if we're honest, we can all carry some hidden labels. See, I carried a hidden label with me for years, and it wasn't one I mentioned, but it was one I made the habit of defining my life by. And I'm talking about the label of worry. See, for years, I clung on to the label of worry. Whatever room I walked into, worry was there. I even carried worry with me once in the door because I let it define and take captive pieces of my identity. How about you? Have you let a label like worry influence your identity? We never plan to have anxiety. We don't choose to be plagued by worry and yet it comes. I didn't intend to have worry but I let it become a definition in my life for years. See, when I was two years old, my parents made the decision to get a divorce. And so very early on in my life, I was introduced to this concept of mom's house versus dad's house, never truly having a place to belong. And life at my mom's house, it was great. She got remarried, we were happy. But life at dad's house, it wasn't. Because of some pre-existing labels left unnoticed, I was left stuck in a home of verbal abuse from the ones I was supposed to trust most with the label like stepmom and dad. And I used to say, 
that I was told things that no child should ever be told, but really, no human should ever be told. Things like, you're an embarrassment to be seen with. Things like, you'll never amount to anything. And so anxiety, it became a part of me. I believe that if I could just think about anything they could possibly use to try to hurt me, if I could just dwell and worrying and obsessing over anything that could happen next, then maybe I could prepare myself for it and keep myself safe. Not knowing that that is exactly how the enemy sets up his best work. Come on, we think it's just a few thoughts. It's just a few images. It's just a couple of what if scenarios. But the enemy specializes in taking one innocent thought and slowly make it into a spiral of thoughts that begin to define our lives and that's what it's like with the habit of worry. We say, I'm just worried about this one test. But that test becomes a stepping stone for another worry. We say, I'm just worried about this one season. Once I'm out of the season, once I graduate, once I'm married, then I won't worry like this anymore. And then we get married. And the worry becomes about being a parent. And we have this baby and we say, I'm worried. Like, does this thing ever even go to sleep? <laughs> and come on, even when the kid is asleep, we still find a reason to worry. Wondering, well, is he breathing? And is he gonna make it into preschool? And how are we gonna afford college? And what will life look like when I'm gone? And before we know it, we go from worry to worry when God says, stop letting a label like worry influence your life when it was never meant to be yours. God says, I didn't create you to go from worry to worry. I created you to go from glory to glory, from strength to strength. Yeah. See, as long as we are living on planet Earth, there will always be a reason why we can have worry. And the reason why I can say that with confidence it's because you can open up the scriptures and not get very far until you're introduced to a circumstance that can bring about a worry. And so the question today is not if worry will come, but what do we do when worry comes? And that's why the scriptures, they're of value. Because through it, we see that God doesn't leave that question to our imaginations, but rather, he gives us a blueprint on how to walk through life's worries with him. And so one of those examples is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And so you have your Bibles. You guys are the real people. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles. But if not, we got you, it'll be on the screens. But let me go ahead and give you guys some context. See, this is a time in Israel's history of a divided kingdom. A new age had brought about a permanent dynasty through David and Solomon who introduced us to the concept of temple worship. And so David and Solomon, they functioned to us as role models to illustrate spiritual and leadership principles that can help us understand and overcome things like worry. Because make no mistake, the temple was built for times of trouble and prayer to overcome the very things like worry. Making this passage a text incredibly relevant to us today. And so when we open it up, we're introduced to a king named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat is reigning in what is almost his 25th year reign as king. 
which tells us that Jehoshaphat, he is fully capable and he's confident. When all of a sudden, a battle is introduced and out of King Jehoshaphat's almost 25 years of reigning as king, something is different about this battle. It causes him to become afraid. But I believe there are three pivotal things that God would want to teach us through looking at King Jehoshaphat's approach to when worry comes. And so if you are ready for the word of the Lord, I need to hear you say, I'm ready. Are you ready? ready. All right, I'm a speaker that loves it when you talk back and you guys are ready today. Starting in verse one, it says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. So let's unpack what's going on here. See, Jehoshaphat is king and he's focused on his responsibilities when all of a sudden some voices come along. And they're shouting things like, Jehoshaphat, have you compared yourself to this army? It's stronger, faster, way more equipped. Jehoshaphat, you should be worried. You got any worries in your life this morning? You have any voices trying to tell you what they think you should be worried about? See, Jehoshaphat, he heard the voices but he does something immediately when afraid that I think we can learn from today. And so here's the first thing. Write this down or online, go ahead and put it in the chat. But when worry comes, fix your focus. See, Jehoshaphat, he sees the battle and his first step of action is to change the intention of his focus. He sees that there's a problem coming ahead but he consciously decides to fix his focus on God. Now fix, fix is an action word. It shows us that there are multiple things pulling for your attention. And what worry does is worry slowly creeps in and it begins to fight for your attention by whispering worst case scenarios that could happen. Oh, but a preoccupation hypothetical situations. It will kill you from experiencing a life of peace and rather give you one that's tossed by the waves of worry. But you only have so much imagination. Don't spend an ounce of it worrying. You fix your focus and run to the present arms of your God, he's there. After Jehoshaphat fixes his focus, like our worries, the battle threat doesn't just go away. In fact, the scriptures continue on, and it says this. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, Drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? See, in other words, when worry comes, Jehoshaphat sees the battle 
but he seeks the Lord. He starts to quote God's resume, and why? Because here's the second thing. Write this down because it really helps me. When worry comes, evaluate the evidence. Jehoshaphat heard the voices. He feels the fear. But feeling fear is not the absence of peace. Listen, worry is different from fear. Fear can protect you from harmful situations while worry paralyzes you in a rampage of what-if scenarios. You can feel fear, but the moment that that fear starts to try to dictate your peace in Jesus, that's when it's time to fight back against worry. So often when it comes to worries, we are settling for secondhand sources when God, the only one who can actually move on behalf of what we worry about, he's just sitting on the sidelines waiting to be invited in. Jehoshaphat heard the voices of people projecting their worries, but he fixed his focus. He evaluated his evidence. He said, yes, I see the battle, but was it not our God who fights for us in the heavens? Have you not heard that our God has rescued us before? My God has evidence to his name. I choose to rest in his evidence. See, author Brittany Moses, she says it like this. She says, anxiety focuses on the outcome that we don't know, but come on, faith focuses on the faithfulness of God we do know. Anxiety may focus on the outcome that we don't know, but faith focuses on the faithfulness of God you do know. When worry comes, because it will, take command of your peace. Remind your soul what you have seen God do. Evaluate the evidence and align yourself to him. After Jehoshaphat continues to preach to his doubts, we see something so special happen in the text. See, Jehoshaphat, he gets down to pray. And he says, we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The scriptures continue and we see the Lord reply. It says, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Some of you came in here this morning to hear that one line, do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. You will find them at the end of the valley. You will need not to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go down against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Jehoshaphat, he fixed his focus, and he evaluated his evidence, but he lets God know he hasn't seen this exact worry before. He tells God that he doesn't know what to do, and that's the exact moment when we see God step in. Can I tell you this morning, 
that your humanness is not a surprise to God today? God doesn't quiver at your worry. He's not weakened by it. In fact, the scriptures say that the king of heaven, he turns and he listens all the more intently to when his children cry out to him. It's exactly what we see Jehoshaphat do. And it's the exact moment when we see God step in. You know, I told you earlier on that the reason why I'm up here speaking with you today is because I've had experience to when worry comes. I clung on to the habit of worry until I didn't. It was January of 2020 when I started to fix my focus on God. And it was February 2020 when I finally learned to evaluate the evidence to eliminate worry from my life. And then, maybe you can recall, the entire world just shut down. <laughs> it was like the perfect opportunity for me to test and see if I really had the victory over worry. So I'll never forget, there was one night late in November, I was praying to God, when all of a sudden I felt like God had placed it on my heart to start praying about speaking at our young adults ministry. And can I just be real honest with you today? I heard that and I was like, God, I can't speak at our young adults ministry. There's absolutely, have you seen how many people are in the room? There's like a hundred people in that room. Now pause and let's just give God some glory, amen? Because I look out today and there's way more than a hundred of you in here. But praise God that we serve a God who doesn't stop at our nose. But nonetheless, in that moment, I felt so disqualified that I told God, God, I, I can't. But nonetheless, I felt like it was God who placed that desire on my heart. So I just started praying about it. Didn't tell anybody, just me and Jesus. And one day I said, God, I believe that you have placed this desire on my heart. And I believe that you have given me a message that you wanna speak to your people. But if you want me to teach it, then I would need the executive pastor to randomly reach out to me. And so the next day, watch, watch God work, won't he do it? The next day I go to work and Pastor Reese, he, he texts me and he says, hey, what are you doing next Tuesday night? Because I want you to teach at Young Adults. And so what once could have been a worry, I ended up walking upon. And it was the highest of highs in my life the most perfect way to end my first year being worry-free, so I thought. It was exactly seven days later, after I taught my very first message, that I walked into the room, the exact place in which I had just taught my first sermon, this room, when I got a text from my family. And they were letting me know that my stepdad the man who stepped up to be a father figure in my life, the man who taught a broken little girl what it was actually like to see love in a marriage, the man who was one of the very few examples of a man in my life, he was found unconscious and it wasn't looking good. He was immediately placed in a coma with a diagnosis of paralysis on one side and a severe brain bleed and doctors said that it would most likely 
end in a grave diagnosis. But due to the COVID-19 pandemic, doctors let us know that absolutely nobody was allowed in the hospital room except for my mom. And I remember feeling the pressure of having to go home and having to answer my little sister's questions about her dad and feeling the weight of trying to explain to her the hope of heaven, all the while so my mom could go be a wife and be at the bedside of my stepdad. And as the days got closer and closer to Christmas, and the diagnosis, it grew worse and worse, the doctors let us know that they were going to make one exception and allow my siblings and I to go say one final goodbye to my stepdad. So I remember going up to Pastor Benji and our staff and I asked them to please pray for my family. And Pastor Benji, your pastor, and his level of care, he asked if he could come and be in the hospital room with us. And I said, Pastor, due to the pandemic, there's so much security there, I don't think you'd be allowed in, but you could wait outside. And I'll never forget making our way out to the hospital, seeing the sporadic Christmas lights about, yet entering the doors to the well-lit hospital room, getting my temperature checked, seeing everybody with their mask on, greeting one security guard who didn't know what to say, who brought us up to another security guard, who escorted us to the elevator to the ICU room, where I pulled back the curtain and I saw that the strongest man I'd ever knew was just left laying in a hospital bed, helpless. And I remember walking up to the bed and taking his hand. And I said, God, what are you doing in my life? God, this feels like a worst case scenario come true. But as I held his hand, I remember telling him that I was not worried. And as I wrapped up my final goodbyes, I remember letting go of his hand just as I had let go of worry all those months back. And as I stepped to the side, I watched proudly as my siblings came by and they said their own goodbyes. When I felt in my back pocket, my phone going off. And so I pulled out my phone and I thought, who could be trying to reach me at such a scarce moment like this? And as I pulled it out, I saw the most lightheartedest thing. It was Pastor Benji. And he said, hey, Abby, I wanted to let you know I'm here. Hey, Abby, I'm gonna try to use my persuasion skills and try to get up to you soon. <laughs> hey, Abby, all right, I'm in, expect me up in a few. And I remember reading that text and I thought there is absolutely no way that my pastor has persuaded doctors in the midst of a pandemic, let alone, to somehow get up into the ICU room. But as I turned around, I saw a man approach the curtain and then the curtain moved and it was Pastor Benji. So we gathered around the bed of my stepdad and we talked about my stepdad's legacy and we prayed all together and it was one of the most beautiful welcome homes into heaven. 
So as we said goodnight to pastor, my family, we continued to gather up our belongings when a nurse from the ICU walked in and she said, who was that man praying with you guys? And we said, oh, that was our pastor. He was able to come in. And I'll never forget her saying the funniest thing. She said, come in. No, he snuck in through the emergency exit. <laughs> and I thought, oh my word. Only, only, only Pastor Benji. And so we went home that night and I got a call and Pastor was just like, hey, I just wanted, I just wanted to check in. And I said, Pastor, we are doing as best one can in a moment like this, but quick question, did you sneak in through the emergency exit? And he said, no, Abby, I just walked in like I've been there before. Someone said, hi, I said, how are you? I kept on walking and then I found a nurse and she was a believer and she said that I should be in the room too. And so we got suited up and then I found you. And I'll never forget just how deeply moved I was. So much so that I could just fall upon my knees and just bow before our God in awe at his present pursuit of me. So I told you I had three things. Here's the last thing. When worry comes, bow before God. See, Pastor Benji, he had never been to the hospital in the midst of a pandemic before. But a lot can happen when you walk in like you've been there before because of the God you bow before. And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do, but he knew there was one thing he could and it's chosen us in the text and it's so powerful, I don't want us to miss it. It said that Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. Do you know how many times the scriptures record someone bowing to the ground? Maybe it was when Jehoshaphat was evaluating his evidence that he remembered how it was Aaron and Moses who bowed before God when left in a new land and they didn't know what to do. Or maybe it was when Abram bowed to the ground when God told him he was gonna make him a nation, yet he didn't have the promise of a son yet. Or maybe it was when Joshua bowed to the ground when he was left in charge of an army without a leader and needed to rely on God to do what only God could do. Or maybe it was Elijah who bowed on the ground when he was asking, begging God to send rain like only God could do. Flash forward, we see Jesus bowing to the ground in the garden of Gethsemane when choosing between living an easy life or going to the cross to die for you. See, Jehoshaphat, he didn't know what to do but he knew that he could bow. And so he got down on his knees and he said, God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do what you tell me to do. Just don't take away you. I don't choose worry, I choose you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes, are on you. Church, that's on the screens for you today. And I just wonder, let's go ahead and say that together. Ready, go. I don't know what to do, 
but my eyes are on you. He said, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And it's somewhere when spending time on your knees that you begin to recall the countless times in which God has come through for you. You begin to recall to memory how the scriptures say that what the enemy meant for evil, God will take and turn for joy. You remember how the same God who said that he will work all things, not just some things, but all things out together for good, he still means it today. It's somewhere on the ground that you remember it was your God who went to the grave and he crucified anything and everything that could ever try to kill you, giving you a personal example. That worry doesn't have to be your weakness anymore. See, Jehoshaphat, he didn't know what to do, but when he fixed his focus, he evaluated his evidence, and when he still didn't know and he just bowed like those before him had taught him to do, we see that the text says that the battle, it doesn't end with a worry and defeat. In fact, it says that when Jehoshaphat got up, they began to sing and praise. For the Lord had set an ambush against the man who had come against Judah. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants, devoting them to destruction. They all helped to destroy one another. So when Jehoshaphat was on his knees, bowing free before God, and then they all got up and worshiped, the battle was won. Without lifting a finger for war, but just a hand in praise, the battle was won. Because come on, if you can worry, then you can worship. If you can worry, then you can worship. It's the same energy, just two different directions. And so Jehoshaphat, he didn't know what to do. But when he fixed his focus, and he evaluated his evidence, and when he bowed before the maker of heaven, we see that the battle was won. But I would suggest the ultimate battle wasn't won here when the enemies just went ahead and took one another out. But the first victory came right here when worry was left at the feet of God. You know, New Hope, today, as I look out, I take heart because there is not one person underneath the sound of my voice who has probably not had experience to when it comes to worry. In fact, coming out of the year that we all just went through together, a lot of us probably worried like we've never worried before. But when I look out here today, I see that ours is a God who is faithful. Ours is a God who moves on behalf of what we bow before. Ours is a God who listens to when his children cry out. Ours is a God who walked with us through 2020 and yet he's faithful even still to be with us in July of 2021 when we are standing here declaring that no matter what happens, you will not take my praise. See, ours is a God who is faithful to listen to the cares of his children. Ours is a God who declares, promises, and proclaims that he will take care of everything left down in Jesus' name. 
And ours is a God who's able to do even greater things with us together as we bow before the maker of heaven. Come on, if you believe it, celebrate it. That's your name that's evidence today. Yeah. Let's all stand and pray. Oh God, we come before you. And we don't just thank you for what you did today, but God, we thank you that ours is a God who's been working and taking all the things that the enemy meant for evil and turning them for good. God, I thank you for every single person underneath the sound of my voice. God, I don't know where they are on the worry chart, but God, I thank you that you are a God who knows, that you are a God who turns and listens more intently, that they may not be where they need to be, but God, with you, they are exactly where they are supposed to be. So God, the next time that worry tries and comes to take what you have given us, would you allow us to remember this moment, to fix our focus, to evaluate the evidence, and if something's too great that brings us to our knees, remind us to bow. God, we love you, we trust you, and we thank you that in your name, yours is a name that is faithful. And it's in your name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Amen.